Welcome to the Forging Honor Podcast. I'm Jonathan George. And I'm Benjamin Jones. Here at The Forge, we explore what it means to live as Christian men. Along the way, we'll be doing weekly challenges to build character through action. We are by no means experts, just two young Christian men trying to make sense of a wild world. That's right. We're doing our best to learn and hope you'll join us on the journey. And if you want to get directly involved, go to forginghonor.com to find information on how to join our community. This is episode seven, Morning Meditations. Morning Meditations. I uh, I need to meditate on my coffee this morning. <laughs> All right. So for this challenge wrap up, we have, uh, just to recap challenges last for 10 days. Um, that's a Monday through Friday for two weeks. Uh, they're going to be simple daily tasks to grow us as men. And this previous challenge was both simple and difficult some days. Um, it was pretty simple. Read your scripture before using your technology, before you use your, your phone or social media or anything like that. Um, this was one of the best participation um, like successes in terms of sheer quantity of days, but also a lot of, I, I don't know. So I, I hit, I hit nine out of the 10 banjo was 10 for 10. So congratulations. 10 10. We can have a little popper sound. Thank you. Noise. I don't know. That was my, um, it's my first ever. Yeah. It, I, I, I don't know if anyone's ever gotten a 10 for 10. I think someone, far. I think someone did with our, you, I want to say with our exercise one, we had a 10 for 10. I think, I think with an exercise one and maybe, Maybe an honor journal. You know, we have, yeah, there's a forging honor member who's uh, dead set on being better at these than everyone else. So, <laughs> I, I mean, good on him if it's motivating to and, check and out new habits. And we should maybe things. just, maybe just pause a second. First of all, to say thank you to all of our members in the Discord yes. who are participating. Yeah, it's great to see new folks in there uh, joining the competitions. JJ, you want to give uh, any brief words on how, if folks are interested, how they oh, can yeah, join absolutely. the Discord? Yeah, go check out the website. It's free to join right now. Um, just there's a link to join the Discord on our website at forginghunter.com. So check it out. We'll see you there. And we're having some uh, really good discussions in there too. There was a lot of back and forth that happened uh, this week as we were discussing some of the results of the of the challenge and meditating on it. So uh, which I'm sure we'll get into at a later date. But anyway, we'll see you there. Well. And on the on the subject of the results of the challenge, the one day I missed, um, it was because I slept in later than usual, and I rolled out of bed and just got straight to work. I work from home, and so I was on my work laptop before I was reading my scripture that day. So it wasn't even a it wasn't even social media, and I was like, "Well, this feels like growth." I don't know. It's I don't know it, <laughs> growth, but also. Um, it made me feel bad about like, you know, if I'd just gotten up like even five minutes earlier than I did, I 100% would have had time to do my Bible reading. Yeah. But no, instead I stayed in bed until that meeting that I needed to do. And I was like, okay, well that's, that's on me. Well, um, you know, they say that's the, that's the first sign of learning something is that you know, you go from being just okay with whatever it is to feeling like, hey, there's something that needs to change. So, you know, maybe, yeah. maybe that was some some real uh, steps forward. And that's that's the goal here. That is the goal here. 
um, the days otherwise where I, we, we, we titled this morning meditations. I'll be honest. I didn't really meditate on my scripture. First thing I was reading. I, I used that time to read my uh, proverb of the day. Um, so I wasn't trying to read anything that I'm working through, like any, anything in depth. Right. Um, it was just for the purpose of putting scripture in front of my eyes before anything else. Um, so this, it wasn't so much a true meditation in that sense, but I think it was good because it, you know, it started out my day with here's a form of action I can take, um, that is truly good for me and that will kind of set the tone for the day. Yeah. So it was the, the Proverbs that you were reading. Mm -hmm. So I guess over these last two weeks, you know, I hate to admit it live on this podcast. Well, it's <gasps> not live, but I didn't do mine this morning. So I didn't, I haven't read chapter 25 yet, but oh. yeah, uh, every other day it was just the chap, the proverb of the day. So proverb it would have been yesterday, the 24th. And so it's a, oh, it says, it says a whole chapter, not a, not like a verse. Yeah. You just read the whole chapter because there's, there's 31 chapters in Proverbs, which makes it oh, very nice out. and easy to read one chapter a day throughout the month. Um, yeah. uh, if you're on a month without the last couple of chapters, you don't have to read them, but you can also just kind of cram them into that last day or something. Or yeah. Um, but I find that that's just such a great rhythm and a cycle to have being, um, or ensuring that you're at least reading something. I, that's the one Bible reading plan I think I've stuck with, uh, longer than a month in my entire life. Um, like consistently stuck with um, I've had other ones that I'll fade in and out of, right? I've got these other Bible reading plans that I'll be with for a couple of weeks and then I'll forget about, and then I'll get back to them, you know, a month later or something. But I, I, at a point, what was it? I, maybe it was late high school actually. Wow. So it's been six years I've done this now. Um, a buddy of mine and I, he was actually my, my best man, although he wasn't my best man yet. Um, <laughs> I wasn't married yet. Uh, anyway, the man who would become my best man uh, and I were just like, you know, we're not reading our scripture every day. Okay, shoot me a text uh, highlighting a verse that you thought was good from the chapter in Proverbs for the day, just so we are like reading it every single day. So uh, for... Um, that end of high school all the way up through uh, at least a couple years into college. We dropped off after a couple years of it. Um, we, you know, we'd gone through it with each other so many times at that point. Um, but that was one of those things where every day I was getting my text from him and he was, I was sending a text to him with, here's this verse I read. Here's what I thought was interesting about it. Just kind of. So you had like the... an accountability partner with, with reading. Yes, that, you could call it that. You could call it yeah. that. That's really, I, I've really come to appreciate in different areas of my life, having that, just that guy, buddy, you know, best friend or whatever, who's going to be there to, you know, just like text you in the morning or, uh, you know, check on you in the day to be like, Hey, did you do the thing that you said you were going to do? Um, especially when it comes to like these spiritual things. I had one friend who we, we both were kind of like complaining around one night of like, you know, we never memorize scripture. You know, I'm always saying I'm going to memorize scripture and I never do it. And we're like, well, why don't we just pick one? You know, and I was like, he was, he, it was his idea. And I was like, oh, well, yeah, I, 
well, now just I'm do it. Now I, have, right now, now. <laughs> <laughs> now I have to do it. Um, and so we did. We memorized Psalm 8. Uh, I haven't said it in a while, so I think I probably need to go back and review it. But it was really helpful to just not feel like I was doing it alone and to have somebody who is like, no, you're going to do it, and I'm not letting you get away with not doing it, you know? Was this in uh... – was was this at Covenant while you were doing this? Like yeah. Maybe during your sophomore year. Yes, that's exactly right. Do yeah. you remember? Do you remember this happening? Well, no, I was not there for any of it. All I know is, um, in our study groups uh, across country, whenever you prayed, you would drop in a little piece from Psalm eight, <laughs> like you were praying, which is very good. You should pray scripture. But I was like, this guy's working on Psalm eight right now. I, I, yes, the Oh Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth? Yep. That yes, was, yes. It's just a good way to start a prayer. It's well, it's a wonderful psalm. And it's things like that where you're consistently in it, where yeah, it should bleed into other aspects of your worship, especially your prayer. That's something I'm working on right now with um I'm in a discipleship group with several other men. And um we're working through a book on I've mentioned it a couple times on on the podcast, a book on spiritual disciplines. Um but it started off with scripture and the next thing was prayer, right? And and we're getting to the other spiritual disciplines as well, including uh, things like fasting, meditation, that kind of thing. Hmm. Um, but the first things first were scripture and prayer and how you, those are the two most important spiritual disciplines that a man can have in his life. And I, I thought that was, uh, I don't know, that, that was encouraging, both encouraging for me because it was like, okay, these are the, I'm, I'm doing the right things here. It was also discouraging because I wasn't always doing them. So. Right. Right. Yeah. Um, I was reading Job in my, in my morning study, which I thought not the most encouraging of, uh, scriptures maybe to start the morning with, but yeah, <laughs> but I enjoyed it. I think, I think Job's Whoa, fascinating. Um, it, but it was so fascinating from a from a scriptural standpoint to start my morning, which is relatively simple and easy compared to how Job was having to start his mornings. Like it just took out all reason for me to complain. Wow. When I was like, like, oh man, it's you know it's five thirty and I. I barely have any coffee and I got to go to work and man, life is, life is hard. And then I'm reading Job like, and all of my sons and daughters and all of my camels and horses and all of my livestock was killed. And now I'm covered in lancing boils and my friends are here sitting with me in the ash and they won't shut up about how I must've done something wrong and I should probably, you know, curse God for it. So that sounds like, miserable. Yeah. Yeah. So he sounded miserable and I thought, well, I'm, I guess I'm okay then. I think I'm all, I'm all right. It, it, but it is just a fascinating book, and especially this is the first time as I was reading through um, the conversations that his friends have when they come and sit with him, where they're talking about God. There's a couple things that they say where in the past when I read it, I've just been like, oh, it's scripture. So this is this is saying true things about God. And so whatever they're saying must be true. But then as I was reading it this time, I was like, wait, no, these guys don't really have like a proper – conception of who god is right. like it's not it's not quite right and it was really interesting how the 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 scripture there was using like dramatic irony um 
it was like a really subtle literary device that you could really get messed around with if you weren't paying attention. Job is, is, I don't know, I'm not a biblical scholar, but having read the Bible, Job is the, is one of the single most like literary books in its form in that Mm -hmm. sense, right? Like the other books follow major literary patterns and many of the letters use like the letters of Paul use certain literary devices, but yeah, Job is fascinating in that sense. Even the beginning. Yeah. Well, and, and yeah, the way it sets it up, like with the, the sons of God coming forward and and the devil's there or Satan's there. That's gotta, that's gotta be like one of the single coolest setups for a a book of the Bible. Right. Ever. I don't know. And it's also like, then what do you do with that? If like theologians debate about like, did this really happen? This thing? I don't know. I think it's pretty funny. Anyway, kind of circling us back around to the, the discussion of, of scripture before everything else, but specifically scripture before tech. I don't know. I, I think, and, and we'll also be continuing this a little bit with the next challenge, but thinking on the Bible as a technology in a sense, um, I think it's really interesting that that is that the word and many people have pointed this out, but it's the chosen form by which God has revealed himself to us. And, and when I say the word, I mean both the physical text, but also the word as, as John highlighted, uh, in, in the body of Christ. Right. Right. Um, so I don't know. I think that, Right folks have pointed this out before god did not come in the era of social media or christ did not come in the era of social media he came in the era of of the word both spoken and and written so i don't really have much to say on that because it's early in the morning but banjo if you have anything to say on that. <laughs> well i took a i took a class um a seminar class in college uh part of the res publica lectures at covenant um so um Maybe some of our listeners were there for that. I'm not sure. But, and that that was led by uh, Professor Shushart. I hope I'm saying his name right, um, of Wheaton College. And he did a, a really fascinating study of media ecology um, and some of the effects on our landscape. Um, and he spent a lot of time unpacking the importance of how the medium you use to communicate has a direct impact and influence on the message that you're trying to communicate. And part of his message to us was that Christ was the perfect medium for the message that was being communicated. Um, Because Christ is described as a, as a sort of medium, as a mediator is how we would typically say it. Um, But in the sense of, he was the word made flesh, you know, what's, what's the word that was made flesh. It's, it's God's love. Um, and he's the perfect physical demonstration of that, both in his actions all throughout his life and his ministry, um, to his death, um, on the cross and then his resurrection, his message is, is summarily comprehended in who he is, uh, by his nature and in his, in his form. Um, so that was a, that was a broader point that he made with that, but secondarily, um, and, and maybe more tangibly to us, 
the ways that we communicate with one another, the forms that those take have a very direct impact. So for example, if I put a piece of writing on a rock and I, you know, I wrap it around a rock and I throw it through your window, that's, that is the medium for that message. The medium with that message is a little bit more what JJ, what? Well, having, uh, the experiences from college with rocks coming through my windows. Banjo. <laughs> I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Um, it's, it's 7 a.m. Get up. Yeah. Uh, well, Time for cross-country practice. It would, be, it would feel kind of disrespectful, like, okay, thanks for the message, but you broke my window, man. Right. Now I always wondered I always wondered with these these princes wooing princesses in fairy tales why they are throwing rocks at their windows. <laughs> So you could you could throw rocks at the windows and break the window. Alternatively, you know, let's say it, let's say that the prince and princesses are in fact you know throwing paper airplanes. You know, you write your little note on a paper airplane and you throw that through the window. You know, that's right. got a different connotation to it. That's not the aggressive, disrespectful, you know, rock through a window. It's kind of flirty. It's a little bit coy. You know, it's playful. Think of think of that as as a good baseline for the difference between medium and message. When we get to something that's as big a technology shift as something like the book versus the computer or the, or the book versus television. Um, I have here um, my copy of a supposedly fun thing I'll never do again uh, by David Foster Wallace, uh, which has the essay E unibus plurum, which is a play on E. Pluribus unum. Um, you don't say. Yeah. Just spelling it out in case anybody missed it. Um, but he talks about this change of medium and message when we switch from going to a book-dominated society or a radio-dominated society to a screen-dominated society. And the main difference that he talks about in, in that is that there's an irony present inherently in the television or screen age that isn't present in a book. So whenever you're writing a book and you're using the words, it has to be assumed that the words you put down are genuine. Okay. You're using your imagination. You're making a sincere effort to understand what's in the text and everything that is on the text is essentially supposed to be truthful even if it's imagined, right? So it can be a fictitious, a fictitious story. What, um, if, what if like satirical humor writing, like that's existed for, I mean, eons. Yes, yes. Satirical writing would be an exception where that is, that is fundamentally ironic. But well, not... Maybe, maybe it's not an exception in the way that the reader sits down with the intent of understanding it. That's in true. In that way. They're aware that this specific text is ironic, is satirical, right? When we get to television, there's a shift. Hold Just on, JJ's got to go too far. There, there, there have been some notable cases in history where uh, folks did not realize it was satirical. Um, what was that essay? An English author, where his proposal for the both the population crisis and the food shortage at the time is this what jonathan swift it, oh yeah with jonathan swift yeah and his proposal was like i mean it's kind of horrific but eat babies right 
and people thought he was serious, but he was he was trying to demonstrate how terrible the the wealthy class are in some of their propositions for the poor. Right, but I think that actually demonstrates well what we're talking about because everyone reading the book was like, well, this is on a book, which means it should be taken seriously, right? The assumption here is that the thought mm, yeah. is is thoughtful, is cohesive and coherent, and that anyone writing in a book de- deserves to be taken seriously. When we transition to television, there's a weird thing that happens where when we're watching TV, the performance that is given to us it's assumed that we're watching people who can't see us right that it's a one-way street and it is a it is a one-way street where we look at the screen and we know that those people can't see us that's true but we assume while we're watching say seinfeld or friends you know we assume that those people don't know that they're being watched and so it feels like we're having a genuine uh, experience where we're looking into these little lives, you know, where we're looking into these little worlds. But the reality is we're watching people who know that they're being watched. And we have to disconnect from that. Because if we ever remember that the people that we're watching are actors and not real people, then everything falls apart in television okay well so that's interesting about the actors not real people because i had this thought right before you said that bit um but like the office intentionally breaks that wall perfect you're getting there i'm getting there i saw the i saw the expression on your face but you're exactly right so the the fourth wall break that happens in television which is different than a fourth wall break than in a stage play right um, we can we can talk about that another time. But I've never thought about that. That's crazy. Yeah, but when you were watching TV, take The Office. Right, Office is an interesting example because what the what the producers of the show have done is said, "Look, we know that you know that we know that you are watching us." Right. It's too early for that, but okay. But. In order for you to believe that what is happening on this show is real, to suspend your disbelief about what's happening on this show, what we're going to do is we're going to pretend that what you're watching is actually a documentary. Okay, So we're going to make it look real. But by doing that, we're going to allow ourselves the ability to talk to to you. Um, Right. And you can see how it gets more and more turned in on itself, more and more ironic when somebody famous shows up in the show where you go, oh, it's him. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. And then, and then everyone in the audience, everyone in the, uh, in the show, the cast, you know, depending on the character, sometimes they react and they go, oh my gosh, you know, I just saw Julia Roberts, you know, that kind of a thing. Um, you're so right. I've never like the fact that the real world breaks in in that way, which is a kind of genius because most of the actors were not known prior right. to the office. I think right. maybe I don't know. Maybe a couple had had previous things, but then the but then skyrocketed you, all of them. And then you have different characters who show up, like Jim Carrey, 
right? Jim Carrey shows up right. at one point in the show. But the joke about that is that it's Jim Carrey, right? Right. Who's an actor. Right. The, what's funny about that scene is, oh my gosh, they got Jim Carrey to come on the show. It's not that anything actually funny has happened. It's just that this character, who the audience all knows at home, is seeing right. this character and is going, oh, I know him, you know, from this other thing. And, and so it takes you, it simultaneously takes you out and pulls you back in. Weird. Which wow. is okay. fun. It's very fun. But here's the problem. And this is what David Foster Wallace talks about in his essay, E Unibus Plurum, which if you have an extra hour, sit down and read it because it's really worth it. But his point is, when we live in this kind of universe that's dictated by screens where we're going, hey, I know him. He's, he's an actor, right? Uh, where we're going, wait, I, I know that what they're, not do what they're doing is not real, but it really looks real. We start to, first of all, define how real people should look by what we see on TV or on our phones, which is right. obviously not healthy. But more importantly that, but more important than that, the screen is dictated by irony. Okay. And the thing that runs irony is saying something and seeing something, and those two things are different. So whatever I say and whatever I see are two different things. That's the core of our irony, right? Hmm. Um, so, you know, if if in that scene, in that Jim Carrey scene, right, he's like, well, I'm just an ordinary guy and I wanted my paper job, right? The irony of that scene is that we see who it is, Jim Carrey, and ironically, he, what he's saying is, I'm just a paper guy. What we see and what he says don't match up. Does that make sense? Yes, but with some other actors that they have bring in, they'll say, like, it is obvious that it, like, or they'll acknowledge the actor's presence. And then it's, then it's not, like, ironic. It's just, right. oh, they had this famous actor in there. Right. That's a, that's a different joke. I'll, right. I'm just using but, the... But it, it's the contrast there that I think helps solidify it for me. Right. So between sight and sound, that's the irony. So here's the thing. When we see what looks like a genuine emotion on a screen, there's that genuine emotion is automatically undercut by the fact that we know it's on a screen, that we know it's acted. We know that there's a, a difference between what we see and what we say. Here's, so, an, ex so here's an example. question there. Okay, okay. Here's an example, and then, and then I'll see if I can clarify it. So think about an Old Spice hat right? Mm -hmm. Old Spice ads are saying, we want you to buy this product, mm -hmm. right? Yeah. But they know that you're a savvy consumer who's watched a lot of television. So they know that you know what an ad looks like. So they have to come up with a way where you're not turned off by the fact that you're watching an ad. So right. what they do is they make an ad that is so explicitly an ad that you as a savvy consumer of television can see, oh, this is this, they're, they're being funny. It's not trying to trick me. It's not. Exactly. Yeah. It's not, yeah, yeah. Interesting. Ironically, it actually is trying to trick you. It's trying to put you into this category of, see, you're one of the cool people 
who get television. And this is why this is and funny to you. Inside, you understand. Right. Yeah, yeah. But ironically, instead of you actually being the individual, the only person who gets that, everybody gets that joke. Right, because we're all a part of the society. <laughs> exactly. So Whoa. they've done this thing where it looks like you get the joke and you are the only right. one who gets the joke. So you're special. But wow, the reality never is thought of that. you're a part of a group. You're part of this whole e unibus plurum. So what does this have to do with what we've been talking about? What we are, what we are, what David Foster Wallace argues is that we're living in an irony saturated society where even basic emotions that we have with people it's difficult for us to express because we've been trained by television to say, well, if I, if I say it, then I don't mean it, you know? And, and it's so easy, like the easiest form of a joke that anyone can crack is just, yeah, be slightly cynical about something and say something like, ah, you know, you could say something serious. I say the exact same thing back in an ironic tone of voice. And people are like, it's, Oh, that's funny. Ha. Right. And I see it. I mean, see, I see it every day with the kids that I teach and the kids that I coach where they are so silent always because they are too afraid to say something genuine in front of their peers. Because as soon mm -hmm. as they say something mm -hmm. authentic, as soon as they say something that they mean, as soon as they say something that matters, they go, I mean, I'm not, I don't really mean that because everybody well, else just dogpiles onto them. People, people that say things, for example, you notice this even uh, in a long form video versus like a YouTube shorts video or whatever, if you're on their Instagram reels or TikToks or whatever. If you're, in, if someone is on a long, a long form video, and when I say long form, I'm talking like, I guess minimum 15 minutes, but sometimes I'll sit and watch a lecture that, you know, is an hour long or something. Like a video essay or something. Yeah. Like a video essay. And a lot of those, you don't even need the visual part because they sit, they draw you in with the argument they're making, what they're talking about, right? It's not about the visual, mm -hmm. except as the visual is an aid to an understanding of the conversation that's being had. Whereas in a short form video, you know, less than less than five minutes or, but even shorter, like these YouTube shorts are- Like the 30 like seconds. seconds yeah. yeah. And if someone says something serious on a YouTube short, all the comments are like poser fake, you know, it's like yeah. this guy doesn't, you know, taking himself too seriously. Exactly. And, and, but if someone sits and takes the time to sit there for, I mean, honestly, it's 10 minutes is a long time in our society now. Mm -hmm. Like someone takes the time to sit there for that long. It's like, wow, this is, this guy's like Tom Scott videos. They're usually like 10 to 15 minutes long. Are you familiar with Tom Scott? No. He did like the, the places you might not know about series and, um, he, he, he always finds like, his thing travels around the world and yeah. he finds weird little quirks like um, monorails that are useful was one that he, you know, <laughs> did like these little quirks in, in science or technology and, or just things in the world, like um, the oldest operating fountain in the world, things like that. Huh. Um, or a place where mail is still delivered by boat and people jump off the boat as it's moving to deliver the mail. Like these little That's videos. That's amazing. Yeah. It's really great stuff, but they're all... Like he, he has his, 
his little thing to draw you in. Like he does his, his things to keep you watching the video. Right. But a lot of it is just him standing there talking. So at a certain point you have to be invested in the argument he's making or the thing he's talking about in order to watch past that, you know, initial 30 second mark. Cause he tells you most like pretty much what it is within the first yeah. few seconds. Like, you know what, Oh, you're like, okay. But then he goes and talks about the history and everything going on with it. And the, yeah. you have to be more invested than these little 30 second clips. Yeah. And the other thing is, and we, uh, this is one of the things that we started talking about in the discord is, you know, you have, uh, you know, insightful folks like Noam Chomsky who, you know, alert us to some of these things like, um, the, the, the way that media as a device is kind of corrupted, mass media is kind of corrupted to manufacture consent to kind of pull right. the strings a little bit, um, which, uh, you know, Noam Chomsky wrote, bo- uh, sorry, Noam Chomsky wrote that book a, a while ago. I mean, it's, it, we've known about this for, for a bit. There's nothing new under the sun. Yeah. Vanity of vanities. Everything is vanity. Um, but now as a consumer of, of television media, it's, it's, almost impossible to take something seriously because we just think, well, this, this isn't even, you know, a real writer doing it. This is, you know, some algorithm that Warner brothers cooked up just to make, make me happy, you know? Right. So we've taken even more incentive out of it, you know, or, or, um, I think about like the, the Marvel and the Disney streaming stuff. I mean, that is like, 101 like we all every time i sit down with somebody and watch it we go together like almost in unison we go well we know they're just doing it to make money but we'll watch it anyway you know it's just yeah yeah and so it takes all of the like the life out of it you know um so i was thinking about this with with this week's challenge because reading scripture and reading and reading David Foster Wallace's essay kind of in conjunction with some of the stuff we've been talking about the last couple of weeks, I just was, was struck by how, how difficult it is to be genuine and unjaded in, in this, in this age. And, you know, how do we, how do we get better at that? I think it's like diving more into belief diving more into those things that we know to be true and and genuine and honest like like scripture and well it's that but also setting things up in such a way like i'm going to read my scripture before i turn on my tech um setting things up for yourself yeah as part of that effort i think there are habits you can build into your life like Mm -hmm. that's the practical side of this like you got to build those habits so one book i reviewed on that note um is the TechWise Family by Andy Crouch? I've mentioned it a couple times. Uh, I have it here, so I'm just going to read off his. He has ten TechWise commandments, um, and see if you can kind of find the the theme here. One, we develop wisdom and courage together as a family. Two, we want to create more than we consume, so we fill the center of our home with things that reward skill and active engagement. Three. We are designed for a rhythm of work and rest. So one hour a day, one day a week, and one week a year, we turn off our devices and worship, feast, play, and rest together. Four, we wake up before our devices do, and they go to bed before we do. And that, that go to beds in quotes. Five, we aim for no screens before double digits at school and at home. Six, we use screens for a purpose, and we use them together rather than using them aimlessly and alone. 
7. Car time is conversation time. 8. Spouses have one another's passwords and parents have total access to children's devices. 9. We learn to sing together rather than letting recorded and amplified music take over our lives and worship. 10. We show up in person for the big events of life. We learn how to be human by being fully present at our moments of greatest vulnerability. We hope to die in one another's arms. Now, I definitely have, I mean, my family does not keep all 10 of these, um, but there's a general sense here banjo and i think it's interesting you know he doesn't even mention tech in most of these right like this mm-hmm. is his tech wise family book um but there's such an emphasis on the place technology has in our lives in the sense that it's it's absent from so much of it so that you can be present you're there you fill your home with things like like one of the chapters the chapter on uh, or chapter two we want to create more than we consume we fill the center of our home with things that reward skill and active engagement. That chapter he goes into. So we put musical instruments and books in the center of the home. We have a, there's a TV in some TV room, different part of the house, mm-hmm. right? But the center of the home, the living areas, they are, that's, we, yeah, I don't know. I, I think, I think that's a part of what you're talking about, like the practical side of it. Yeah. And the two, the two ones, the, the two that stood out to me is he said active, you know, we, we encourage active engagement and we value vulnerability. And those are the two mm. antitheses of irony because the the ironic person, the jaded person, the cynical person says, well, I know it's all a sham, so I'm going to stay away. I'm not going to get hurt, so I'm going to stay away. You know, I'm not going to be fooled, so I'm going to stay out of it. Interesting, right. So in order to combat that, we have to train ourselves to be active participants in in whatever it is that we want to do. The other thing is, That last one is, you know, vulnerability is valuable. We have to be willing to expose ourselves in order to have a connection, to have a community. For you and I to to create anything of value on this podcast, we have to be more than just talking heads and have to be more than just, you know, do do what we do because we're real men. Which we can pretend and lie about ha, because ha, ha. That, you can't see us. <laughs> yeah, yeah, right. You can't you can't see our you know dinky frames. Um, we both have runners' bodies. Yeah, <laughs> but we have to be open and honest about things in order for there to be some sort of growth and some sort of change. Um, I've I've become obsessed with samurai lately. I don't know if I mentioned this on air yet, um, but one of the uh, I've been uh, one of the sword styles for the samurai is um, I don't know the Japanese name for it, but it's it's this style where you allow for the first opening move to be taken by the other person. You let the you let the opponent make the first move, swing the sword, and by doing that, you expose yourself to a potential injury, but you also make it possible for for yourself to win the fight for, for an actual fight to happen rather than mm. two guys just, you know, posturing with their swords in, in a guarded mode and nobody ever takes a swing. Um, and I think even conversationally, there's a way that that's just a really healthy approach to life where I'm going to let my guard down so that I can continue the rest of it. You know, I'm going to let you in. I'm going to allow the danger so that I can continue forward. Okay, I'm thinking about that. Interesting. I kind of 
rephrase that for me if you can. Okay. So let me let me put it to, to this to it. Let me put it to you this way. If I want to live a life that is unscarred, if I if I want my child to live a life where they never get hurt, the best way for me to do that is to put them in a padded cell. Right. Mm, I see what you're saying now. Mm-hmm. But but they will never achieve anything. They will right. never grow in any way. They may even become weaker mm. and and less healthy by being in that space. And we do the same thing with ideas. We do the same mm-hmm. thing with emotions. We do the same thing with our conversations. When we aren't willing, you know, think about, um, you know, maybe church membership, church participation, you know, there's a certain vulnerability that we're called to in the church where we say, I will submit myself to the session. You know, if you're in a Presbyterian uh, situation, I will submit myself to the pastor and to the ruling elders and allow them to teach me and correct me and for them to help me find ways that I can support the church, you know, be with the church. Right. Um, and that is a vulnerability because then I will be asked to do things that I probably don't want to do that will take up time on a Saturday um, or a Sunday. You know, um, I might have to have conversations with people that I don't enjoy talking to by becoming a member of a church. Um, those are vulnerabilities. And if I'm going to grow in that church setting, then I need to be open and honest with my sin, you know, which is sometimes the hardest thing to talk about and say, you know, pastor, I, this is a thing that I'm struggling with. Can you help me out? Um, you have to expose yourself. You have to let your guard, Mm -hmm. you know, your sword guard down so that the next thing can come in and you can continue the conversation. Does that make more sense? Does that work? It does. I I think I, when, when we were talking about sword strikes, I, I guess I was, connotating that a little bit with some of the negatives of the world and i don't know just the analogy broke down at a certain point that does not matter (laughs) um i understand what you're saying and and you're absolutely right you have to build or you have you have to accept that but also you know if you kind of with the samurai analogy like there's a foundation there to be ready for that which is why we read our scripture every day we pray every day You you we do these things to grow so that there is some foundation because if you have no foundation and you find yourself in sin and or or you're some crazy tragedy happens in your life whatever it is and you have no foundation you know you're not going to be able to withstand that and i think that's why our generation is so ironic why our culture is so ironic we don't have a foundation so the safest thing for us to do is to knock each other down and to keep people from seeing how weak at the knees we are i mean that's our safest course of action So I think it's on us as Christian young men to lead the charge towards the genuine, lead the charge towards the authentic, to be more vulnerable, to be more exposed, not to be weaker, but to have the strength to be able to say, I'm going to, you know, put my, you know, draw the line in the sand, put my banner down and say, this is, you know, this is what I believe and I'm not going to make a joke out of it. I like that. I think I think there's a conversation to be had there about the the joke part because you know we do like you you can hear the the Chesterton uh, quotes about being able to 
make fun. Um, but that's a, that's a conversation for a different time. Maybe we can have that in our Discord. Indeed. All right. Um, so again, challenges uh, last for 10 days. So, so this next one for the next two weeks, Monday through Friday for two weeks, uh, they're going to be simple daily tasks to grow us as men. This next challenge, I'll let uh, Banjo enter this and kind of give the, the discussion, the idea behind it. Um, and then uh, we'll, we're, we're at time, unfortunately, so we won't have much time to discuss this, but I look forward to discussing it in, uh, in two weeks. Yeah, so the, the challenge this week is uh, in order to kind of change our mindset, change our worldview, and, and to just start seeing the difference between that ironic world of screens uh, and that little more authentic, genuine world of books, particularly fiction books. Um, so we want to get in the habit of reading books and reading fiction books. Um, and we want to kill two birds with one stone here. So not only uh, do we get to read a book, maybe two if you're if you're fast, um, but also to dig into some uh, ideas that are in fiction books about what it means to be a man um, and to just build on some of those conversations with that. So the challenge for this week is to take 10 minutes every day to read Jack London's Call of the Wild or Jack London's To Build a Fire. Um, they're both very short books, and ideally you'd be able to finish both of them by the end of the next two weeks. Um, but if you only do one, totally fine. The goal is to just get into the habit of setting aside that time and being in a text, being in a physical copy. Um, if you need to use an ebook um, or an online copy, that's totally fine. Um, I'm also a big fan of audiobooks. Um, you can find some of those, and there's a really good uh, LibriVox recording of The Call of the Wild that I've listened to recently that's worth going back over. Um, so if you, if you need to do that, totally fine. Um, but I do recommend even just going to a library if you don't have the book and picking up a physical copy, just so you can write in it and take notes and, you know, dog. Well, not it. the library one. No, not the library one. Sorry. Yeah, no, don't write in the library book. No, that would be a, that would be a crime and a sin. Um, but yeah, any other things that I should specify, we should specify on that JJ. Yeah, I do think, um, yeah, if you need to use a digital copy of some form for the first couple of days, um, not the end of the world, but, um, yeah, part of the goal here is is be textile with it and kind of be thinking about yeah the medium and the message, um, and and we don't want like we're talking about reading this every day. It does not rank at the same importance of say reading scripture every single day. So that still comes first. Um, it's just not part of this challenge in that way. Um, but yeah, I look forward to it. I love both of these stories. I haven't read haven't read them in a while, um, so I'm excited to revisit them. Yeah, these are these are both two of my of my favorites. We we'll have to talk about this next time, but to build a fire has haunted my memory for a very long time. So I'm excited to talk about it on air. Well, this has been the Forging Honor podcast. Music and production is by Elliot George. For more information about what we do or to learn how to get involved, visit our website at forginghonor.com. If you enjoyed the show, make sure to like, subscribe, and give us a rating to bring others into the Forging Honor journey.
On our website, you'll find information on how to do the challenges alongside us, as well as links to the many resources we mention in the show. And we do make a small amount from any purchases you make through our website link, so thank you in advance. Thanks for taking the time with us today. We hope you'll take up the work alongside us and join us in the task of forging honor. We'll see you next time.